Good question. Thanks for joining us. This is the show where we take a little bit of time to talk about Swedenborgy sort of stuff, life issues, spirituality, where it all converges with you. Like We're just going to this whole time let you ask questions and we'll do our best to respond to them. And if you enjoyed it all or ever have enjoyed anything in this life, like and subscribe. That really helps out <laughs> our channel uh, and, and, and does wonders to push an obscure questions show out into the YouTube. And we really appreciate that. Who are we, though? Who mm. are we? My name is Curtis Schultz, mm. and I'll be your host. Uh, and sitting to my this way is Dr. Jonathan Rose. Hey, here I am. Series editor for News and Tradition. So great to have you with us. And rounding out our panel, triangling it out, really is none other than Karin Child's friend and writer for Swedenborg and Life. Hey, Karin. Hello, welcome everybody. Yeah, well, thanks everybody in the chat for coming and playing the game. So what we're gonna do is collect, you can start entering them now, our moderator there will grab them and introduce them to us. And we're gonna start with one that we got a little earlier just to get the ball rolling and then we wanna hear what you have to say. So this is the very first good question. Oh, I, I was gonna cut to a screen so I was like sending it off. I worry about true intentions. If you know the rewards, is your work really good? And this is Erica Cahom, C.A. Home. And this is a great additional Swedenborgian worry that you might pick up because the Swedenborg's writings are all about the intention is the meaning of the thing. When angels don't even notice a deed that a person is doing, they just notice why they're doing it and when there's all this pressure mm. to be doing stuff for the right reasons. But, hey, what if you happen to know? that if you do good things, you turn to this beautiful spiritual being, you have happiness and peace all the time. How are you possibly not going to be just doing that to get hooked up big time in the life to come or whatever? So how can we, um, oh, yeah, how can we put Eric's uh, worries to, to rest? I had said Erica before because Eric's the home. Okay. So yeah, yeah, I, 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 I saw it. Eric or Erica. Okay. Who knows? Thank you so much for your question. What do you th what's the answer? Well, uh, my first thought is that it's really hard to tell, isn't it? Like when you, because we can fool ourselves, we can, we can tell ourselves a story. But, well, no, I really did that in order to be this way or that way because um, our minds are tricky. We can think of excuses or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Swedenborg does emphasize this idea of self-examination yep. and trying to look as much as you're able to at what you piece together of your motives. And the idea is that the Lord will come and look with you kind of thing to, you know, sort of inspire that view or something like that. So you get more of a God's eye view on yourself that way and can see things a little more objectively. A beautiful teaching that Swedenborg says is that um, the Lord esteems everyone. And he says, hell esteems no one. And so the, the Lord does put a good interpretation on everything for everybody yeah. all the time. Right. And uh, my last sort of incoherent thought about this <laughs> is that uh, when it says in the book of Revelation that there, there was this book that was sealed up with seven seals and only the lamb was able to open them, everybody was sort of weeping because nobody yeah. could open it. And uh, Swedenborg says that that book means the state of each person and of all the human race and that only the Lord, who is the Lamb, is able to 
open that. We're so complex. Yeah. There's seven seals. You know, right. I mean, how do you know? Well, this is what was lying behind that. Oh, but this was behind that. Oh, and that was actually just spirits. Yeah. And this was angels inspiring this. And this is forgivable because of that. And right. So how do we know? I, I'm drawn to the fact that only the, the Lord really knows. We actually don't know. But if we're prayerful and if we just keep trying, I think they can only fool us so long. You know what I mean? I right. think we'll get on the right track. Yeah. Awesome. So there we go. Some good initial incoherent thoughts, right? And Thank Karen, what, what does that spur on you? Well, I think it's important to remember that it's regeneration is a process that goes on to eternity. And we're really just babies starting out in this world. And so I think it, um, you know, like with anything you're trying to improve on, you need to have a get clear about a goal, be able to evaluate how close you are to that goal or how far, but also to have patience that you can't just like be perfect at something when you're just starting out. And our lower selves are, it, it helps me to think about my lower self as like a child or a pet that, you know, um, it's, uh, your dog can't not <laughs> want to do something for a reward and a child can't not do something for a reward. It's just, it's just the way it is when you're at that stage. And um, I, it helps me to, to just think about like, okay, my lower self is always going to be thinking about the reward, but that's okay. I can even have a sense of humor about that and have this higher self. That's the one in charge and, and trying to train my lower self <laughs> and that it's a process and we can uh, have a sense of humor about like where we're at, but, but just like you wouldn't with a, a child to just expect them to be this full-blown mature ad adult um, in what you're trying to train them towards. Um, your lower self just needs time and the Lord is working on it. And so if we just get clear on the goal, um, get better and better at seeing where we're, oh, we're uh, wishing for something to get out of it, but that's pretty funny because really that's not what it's all about. I think um, you just find over time that the Lord is gradually working on that and that <clears throat> can kind of morph into uh, a feeling of wanting to be a part of the results rather than it being a reward. There can be this beautiful looking forward to um, wanting to be a part of heaven, basically, you know, that um, wanting to be a part of that movement that's different than wanting, it's not bad to be want to be a part of heaven. Um, so if you see what I mean, there's a bit of a difference there. So I think a, a sense of humor and patience and realizing that it's a long process and the Lord's working on it and we just have to keep going step by step. Yeah, yeah that's good. The, the, the Bible certainly talks in terms of reward. You know, it's kind of, hey, do this, you'll, you'll get good things, you know, yeah. so that the reward motivation can't be all bad. And I remember this passage where Swedenborg says that some of the... Um, some of the best people feel that they're the worst people and some of the worst people think they're really great and so like that we so are really we're, great. we're often <laughs> wrong about yeah. you know what i mean and so if you feel like oh i'm probably doing it for the wrong reasons you're probably doing it for the right reasons <laughs> there's a, a radiohead song that goes you can try the best you can you can try the best you can the best you can is good enough and i would say if you do find yourself uh thinking about reward when you're doing something good you would be in the company of angels because Swedenborg describes we have sort of our day-night cycle where we're 
in what's good and then what's in not so good. Angels do that as well. And he describes that there's this very mild, but their not so good state is they're doing nice things, but really it's reward that's that's boosting them and, and yeah. giving them hope. So that's even something that you're going to have that at certain times in heaven as well. And I think it's not it's cool that Swedenborg lays out these categories of love, that he's always saying love of God and love of service needs to be on the top, but in the middle is love of the world and love of... Uh, sort of uh, physical or, you know, sensory kind of the pleasure needs you have, whatever. pleasure. Yeah, right, right. And then at the bottom is reputation. You still have all those things. It's just, it's just really, the question is not like, am I conscious of the reward? Is, is that maybe part of my motivation? But like, if you knew, if the reward disappeared, but you knew it would still do something good, would you in any, would you ever do it still? And are you not, yeah, as soon as you realize you're not getting a reward, you just don't care at all about the person. Even if you're feeling both, like I care about the person and I care about the Lord. Um, yeah, I remember being a little kid, I think I've told this story over here, and I was saying the prayer, and I know you're supposed to think about the Lord when you're saying the prayer, and I was like, okay, I think about the Lord and then junk food, and then the Lord and then junk food. But look, <laughs> I, I couldn't quite, because you know, I really like junk food. So it's like, Okay, if they're both kind of in there, that's a good step. Um, so, so to me, I think you're in a great spot. Okay, that's a great question. Good question, I mean. Not a great, good, good, good question. And now we're going to take one uh, that we just picked up from you guys. So let's see what it is. Franklin Famoski asks, what do you do if you see an angel in real life, not just in the spiritual world? What do you do? If you see an angel in real life, so uh, let me let me see how I, what I interpret this question as is you're talking about seeing an angel that seems to be it's not that you have traveled out of your body or you're asleep or you're in some other place, but you're uh, here and you're observing what feels like an angel in the context of the rest of life. Or that's how I'm reading it, anyway. So what do you do? Yeah, well, th Swedenborg. Uh has that wonderful chapter in Heaven and Hell on the power of angels. And the kind of powers that he describes are actually powers over things in this physical world. You know, it's not just, oh, we're powerful up in heaven, but we can't do anything yeah. down on earth. And uh, um, I think part of the goal, like the Heaven on Earth goal, is to have people who are angels while they're still here, you know. And uh, angels are especially, I think, people who are doing some good right at that moment. Like people yeah. are at their most angelic when they're doing some good. And sometimes you, you see something and just think, wow, yeah, there's an angel right there. And that's something that we can inspire, aspire to. We can be inspired by you know, seeing that kind of goodness coming forth because it's yeah. really supposed to come down here and do some good, not just be wonderful in the, in the afterlife. It's sort of like augmented reality is where you're supposed to have your, you know, your little, what did they used to call them, Google Glass. Right. And oh, I can see the world, but there's also like a heads-up display that's giving me information over it. Swedenborg did seem at times like he was sort of doing that, that he would be, while he's very much able to carry yeah. on conversation, there's an angel right there. Now, the angel isn't being supported by the floor like the rest, but it's right. occurring in the same plane. So it could be, I always wonder about, people have all these stories about, you know, my car broke down and somebody came and helped me, but there's, yeah. they couldn't have really been there because there was no, I don't no, know. Nobody else on the road or whatever. We don't get yeah. a lot of Swedenborg insight into that. Um, but, uh, but it seems to be a, a relatively common 
occurrence. So, Karin, what do you think? Well, a, an angel is a messenger. That's what the word angel means, I think. And so I would think you would just um, be thinking about what, what was the message, or I would be um, trying to absorb the message. And, and it seems that the message is always something about that you are loved and cared about. Uh, an angel will appear in order to give comfort or help or reassurance. And so what is the message? And just uh, uh, opening, open oneself to absorbing that and um, accepting that, I guess. And then also just gratitude, I would think, <laughs> you know, gratitude to be able to see that, whether it's playing out through an earthly human being, whether a, an earthly human being is being an angel in your life right then, or a, a vision of an angel who's in the afterlife, um, gratitude that um, this, this has been confirmed, <laughs> that there are angels among us and caring about us and sent from God. Mm -hmm. Okay, so and you were alluding to this a little bit, but yeah. um, that Swedenborg some, sometimes had the experience of like an overlay. It sounds like, uh, but he could tell the difference. Yeah, and then sometimes there was an even kind of higher state where it's all blended in together. You know, yeah. like like heaven and this earth, and and some people have that ability. Their veil is thin, and they can see, you know, they see see people who are present from the other world. I'm thinking of that movie, It's a Beautiful Mind, where the guy would see these spirits or whatever, and yep. they finally realize, wait, they never age. You know, everybody else yeah. ages, but they, those, those ones movie. never age. And, and uh, that seemed like it was sort of a duality thing. Like he, to him, it was really hard to tell the difference. You know, they right. just seemed like they're all in the same uh, reality together. And I like Karn's emphasis on just the message and what do you, what do you learn? You know? Yeah. Because they all, they always have a purpose. They're not just hanging out. They always have a purpose. Angels yeah. always have a purpose. Okay. And uh, if you see one, tell them that we said hello. Yes. Okay, let's see what our next question is. Great question, good question. Did Swedenborg mention, this is Harlan Lang who asks, did Swedenborg mention anything about the form of government in angelic communities, i.e. democracy, kingship, aristocracy, aristocracy, etc.? Did he mention anything about the best government on earth? Hey, don't talk about religion, don't talk about politics, right, at Thanksgiving, and here we are doing like a pretty <laughs> religious show. Let's get some politics Let's in Let's get here. in there. See what we can do. Wait in, yeah. I know Swedenborg did talk about at least a good portion of this. Uh, do you want to elaborate a little bit? Sure. Uh, the, the first thing that came to mind <laughs> uh, is rather a strange answer that he says that the government of bees is particularly excellent. And he says that bees, the community of the way that bees interact, yeah. is modeled on heaven. That's very much the way heaven hmm. functions. And so you can look at their structure of like, hey, you know, there's some, some uh, negative, there's a strike against you if you're useless, like the drones or whatever, you know, yeah. and the way that everybody's working for the whole and all this stuff. Right. It's very intriguing. He doesn't totally unpack it, but it's a very intriguing statement. He lived at an interesting time in Swedish history where there had been a strong monarchy and then there was the Friheitstiden, the, the time of freedom that came in where there was a stronger parliament and a weaker monarchy. And then toward the very end of his life, the monarchy sort of rose up again and, and, and became more powerful. And so he, as a statesman, was sort of dancing between these sort of 
And so you'll see both things in his works, yeah. that, that it's, it's, monarchy's good, like I think he likes monarchy, I yeah. think he thinks there's a, a kind of stability and order when you have a strong leader. Right. But also the freedom thing is, he, he's big on freedom, you know, you, you, he, he, and he certainly does, he, he's very much against a kind of tyrannical thing, yeah. or the idea that the leader's above the law, he's, he's very explicitly against those kind of things. Everybody's un, under the law, and the leader is a servant to, to everybody, not above everybody. Right, he does talk about people from Britain at the time in the spiritual world, and he said because of the freedom of the press and the freedom of speech right. that they had, they actually, that affects the way they, the spiritual light that they live in, and it seems to be in a positive way, that he seemed to yeah. definitely um, appreciate or, or say there was spiritual value to intellectual freedom and, and the freedom to move around. Uh, yeah, that's right, which can be shut down by a more repressive, you know, yeah. if, if there's a, a strong hand on the press, or no, yeah. you can't write that or you can't say right. that or something. Yeah, he definitely says that, that your whole ability to think is affected by, he says certain kind of thoughts just get blocked before they even come up to the surface. Because if you know you can't say it, you know, you hardly even think it. And, yeah. and uh, uh, good point. Karin. I'm going to give you total freedom of speech on this one. What do you think? <laughs> Good, because, yeah, freedom of thought is, is such a crucial thing, whatever the form of government, because that is crucial to people's spiritual development, to be able to think freely for themselves. Um, it, it has occurred to me sometimes to think that I think probably any earthly form of government could work if everybody was in love to the neighbor, <laughs> you know, like the, the whole problem is trying to find the perfect way to operate things when not everybody wants to be nice to each other or honest and things. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like if, if love of the love of God and love of the neighbor could just reign supreme in the world, people could have an, any form of government and it could work <laughs> because everybody would be trying to up, uh, cooperate. Um, uh, something just so striking to me about, so Swedenborg's describing certain, you know, princes and kings and things in heaven, um, but I've always thought of that as reflecting the kind of um, uh, society they came from on earth and what was um, customary to them, because then there's in the parts of heaven where that came from most ancient times, they're more living the way Swedenborg describes they did in family tribes or clans. And there's a an elder who kind of guides everybody in a fatherly or a motherly way. And so I think the, the forms of government that appear in the different parts of heaven and the different levels of heaven will reflect what uh, makes sense to the people uh, at the time and where they came from. But what's so important that I think Swedenborg emphasizes is any leader in any government um, has to be all about service, you know, has to be thinking of themselves as a servant rather than somebody superior and, and wanting that position in order to be able to serve more people. And so that is kind of like the key element in, in whatever form of, of government. So um, I think maybe it should be less about I don't know. There's just my personal opinion. Less about trying to find the perfect form as the the best motivation from which to become, which is service. And then I think the outer forms will take care of themselves. <laughs> so, yeah, I, there is a chapter in heaven and hell uh, about government in heaven. 
Yes. In there? I, there is. Who knows what it says in there? I don't think anyone's yeah. ever read it. No, but not. But I do think that the current's point is well made that um, I I've had this line in my mind, which it's easy to imagine that Swedenborg lines that don't really exist, but the government in heaven is one of, government of mutual love. There's, there is uh, elements of like a meritocracy in there that the, everybody who's in a position of whatever kind of importance is there because of the, the humility and love of, according yes. to your love of usefulness, uh, rather the, the more that love of usefulness takes primacy over love of self and you, then you're appointed to high positions. How you're appointed to those, I don't know if he ever makes explicitly clear. He said it's all the Lord doing it, but the Lord works through means, so you don't know, is, it, is there somebody up there? I would, I would add that the government in the heaven ain't the same now as it was when Swedenborg was doing things. This no. is just like you see the world changing and, and new forms of government coming in and new ways of thinking. The, the spiritual world is more diverse than that and farther ahead on the curve. So what they're doing is probably what we'll do in, in 10, 20, 30 years, something like that, uh, I would imagine. But it does seem also that, yeah, that there's, there is, um, it's not nothing. It's not just like, even though yeah, Swedenborg does talk to, as Carmel was saying, these primitive sort of people who almost are insulted when you ask them what kind of government yeah, they have. Because right. they say, like what would you think we need a system to keep us from robbing each other you know but on the other hand um yeah he's he also extols the value of complex cooperation he says you were saying bees it's also the human body is governed like heaven is governed yeah. that that's really if you want to know what goes on in heaven how do the cells interact what what's what's organizing that how does the body choose how it distributes energy it's it's like a total Whatever needs it gets it. I don't, I don't know exactly how all that works, but that would be a full correspondence with heaven too. Yeah, one of the characteristics in that chapter, uh, uh, um, talking about the government in heaven, yeah. that struck me, that seems very beautiful to me, is that um, there's no outgroup. It's not like a sort of partisan thing where there's one group that's on the out, so you only okay. care for this group. You know, the leaders are always thinking about how can everybody thrive. Yeah. How can I create a system that will allow everyone to do their best, to bring their best, you know? And so the common good, as well as the individual good, which is made up of all this individual good, yeah. you know, is something that, that they're very concerned about. And I love that, because so often in this world, it feels like one group gets in power and then sort of snubs the other group, right. and then the other group gets in power and snubs the first group. And, That's the uh, primary and it doesn't thing. sound like it's that way in, in the other one. The common good, he says, is what everybody's focused on, is the common good, which is exciting yeah. to think about. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Cool, great question, good question. I have three times in a row I said great question instead of good question. Ah, the branding people. <coughs> Let's just take a look at the next one. It's gonna be good. Kendall M. asks, what happens to the remnant in hell? For example, if remnant is the part given by God that cannot be tarnished, what happens to it when a soul is in hell? Mm. If you're not familiar, anyone watching the remnant, Swedenborg describes as this part inside of you that is special, that is like this good goodness deep in you that's God's and is built up by the like innocence we experience in childhood, every good little memory or thing that we do, and that's it's indestructible and it's protected by God. But if you choose the lifestyle of selfishness and pleasure and harmful things that is hell. And Swedenborg makes this big point about how for people who go into hell, God takes away good things from them so that they won't clash and cause the person to suffer. What about the remnant? Man, is that, is that still hanging around in there? Mm. Well, I guess my two bits would be that um, he definitely talks about the fact that people still have freedom and they still have rationality. 
like those are gifts from God that, that are inalienable and, and uh, that he does a lot of experiments where he brings up evil spirits and then he puts them into a different state and then says, well, da, 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 doesn't that make sense? And they all, oh yeah, totally, you know, they can, yes. they can uh, see it. He can see that there's still that freedom and that rationality there. And I tend to think that the, the remnant would be similar. I know there's passages that talk about, uh, well, at the time of the flood, the people were, the, that remnant portion in people was getting so destroyed that they would be suffocated, you know, that they couldn't live anymore. Yeah. But I tend to think that that is still absolutely there because God has to have some way to sustain that life. You know, the yep. people in hell have everlasting life. They have something that passes for rationality. They have passions and, and loves right. and things like that that are all sort of twisted, but they still came from the Lord originally kind of thing. They've just been turned upside down. And so I think the Lord has to maintain uh, that way of connecting, even though they don't want to think about being yeah. connected to God or something. But Right. Yeah, I was thinking that he'll, he'll even talk about people who just totally throw away everything of good and truth and throw away life. And I'll talk about them going through these processes when they're doing that. And they only have a l little of life left, but they've always had uh, life. And, right. and I always wonder, is it this sort of like this like sleeper agent that... God is somehow going to be able to flick on at some point and raise people into a better state of life. So, Karen, what do you think? There is a fascinating story in spiritual experiences in his journal where he saw an evil spirit and then the evil spirit's regular self kind of, it was a weird description, almost like it was a, a, a clothing. It sort of fell away and there was this child inside this, um, you know, the inner child <laughs> was there. That was, he said, in contact with the angels, might have even been talking with angels. I can't remember that for sure. But there was absolutely within this evil spirit, uh, a deep inner child, which I would think would be the remnant, you know, that innocence that cannot be destroyed, that cannot be um, tarnished. And, and then, and then it, you know, the, <laughs> the evilness came back around it. And, um, and I do wonder if there's something in there that would explain this sort of thing about some people think, um, see in Swedenborg that um, people never get out of hell and some see that, oh, maybe they do. And could it be that there's this, this sort of chosen life that cannot get out of hell that, that people um, who chose cruelty as their main goal in life that has to just kind of burn out for for a long time, but there's still this inner child that's very real, this inner person. And it's interesting to me that it was a child because Swedenborg says, when we are spiritually reborn, it's like a child being born and then has to grow up. And I I understand it as you know that inner child grows into a inner adult <laughs> and is an angel. Um, so would there at some point still be that remnant there that there there could be something else uh you know something else that happens beyond next after that person's um chosen spirit from from their life of cruelty um just gradually burnt itself out now there's you know all sorts of different processes and different stories because some evil spirits seem to be um, going through a process of getting less and less evil and to the point that they're able to kind of interact with better spirits. But then there's other stories where just really super cruel people have to just burn this out and burn this out 
And is there a different um, something that happens where then there's just you're starting with the remnant again? And then what is it like? Is it like a baby that went into heaven as a baby? I don't know. Now I'm starting to just wildly guess, but that's a very fascinating uh, story and fascinating to think about. Yeah, I I didn't know. I didn't think there was such a story like that, or maybe I've, I can't remember if I've heard it or not. But I'm just starting to wildly guess would be a cool name for this show. Yeah, but <laughs> but I but it does seem like uh, there's got to be some kind of plan. And if it's like okay, if regeneration is the growing up of the the thing, but you never grew up, is there like an angel? There's, there's some angel job which is like babysitting the babies of evil spirits, you know? Because everybody has those little states, you know, if you could, like for, some, for someone who's choosing evil like that, you think, oh, if you could just have gone back to when they were a little baby, then they would be in such a better, uh, a better situation mm. than having mm. had life played out. So maybe there is this sort of freeze mm. sort of thing. Great thinking, yeah, very, good very question. question. Okay, let's take a look at a, not, wait, 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 before we do that, I wanna um, get to show you guys um, oh, neither of you were at this event. We did, uh, and any, if anyone was in the chat, thank you so much for coming. We did an event in Manhattan. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, you know, what, like a month ago or something now, where we got to meet some of you. We got to go out there and, and hang out for a while and talk about off the left eye kind of stuff. And we, some people were kind enough to let us film them while they talked a little bit about it so we could share it with the rest of you uh, and just get a sense of how, how do these ideas help people? What are they doing? So what we're going to do here is show you an interview with uh, one of the people that was at that event, and she's going to talk a little bit about the impact of Swedenborg's ideas and, and a little bit of what she's uh, go been going through in life. And uh, it, so when, before we film these interviews, the, the crew was, okay, should we film them in this room with all the other people or like over on the balcony in a different room? And I was like, well, no one's going to go over there, so let's just film them in this room. And it was loud 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 in there so so you can hear the buzz of the conversation you're going to hear going on. a lot of conversational buzz we put subtitles on it just focus on what's being said and you'll i, I found pretty quick i was just hearing that so that's what's going on so you take a look at a what a, a friend of ours had to say so i found off the left eye after my mom died i typed into the internet near-death experience and up came your show on why don't the loved ones we've lost communicate more with us which was you know I had just lost her maybe three months before so it was very you know still very I was very grief-stricken and I couldn't feel her you know my dad had died when I was 11 and I remember having spiritual experiences after he died uh, very you know but at 11 year old you know you're more open I think to that um, and so I was sort of expecting that with my mom but, you know, I was 49 years old, so, you know, a lot of life had happened, a lot of intellectual blockage, I think, and um, I found that video and it totally explained both, like, what she was going through on the other side and what I was going through with the grief that was preventing the communication. And it just, it helped me so much to relax and just it, go through that process of grief. And the reward was, first of all, you know, I, I found a new thing I'm obsessed with off the left eye and I watch it all the time and I love it. But after about nine months, the grief process, like I had this experience where I was coming awake and I was in that twilight state and my mom came and yelled at me. She 
she was from Switzerland. She had, you know, spoke very good English, but she had a very distinct voice. And if I tried to think of how her voice sounds now, I can't, right? Like, it's, it's not a memory I can conjure. But when I heard that voice, I knew absolutely it was her. And she came and she yelled at me because I wasn't doing my spiritual practice. You know, we were both like very um, spiritual. We, and we had a belief system. And she's like, You're, she knew I wasn't praying, I wasn't meditating, I wasn't doing my readings. And she came to me and she yelled at me and she said, Kim, you have to get quiet. You have to connect with God. Because she knew I was just sort of like spinning in my own mind. And I was like, whoa, you know, like that's my mom's voice. I, I, I knew it was her. And so from that day forward, I set up my little table. I got my little spiritual books out. And I had this practice every morning of sitting down and praying and meditating and doing my readings. And that's really when the grief sort of broke is after that moment, you know. Um, so I finally had my spiritual experience, right, like that I knew my mom was there, you know. Um, Having lost my dad, I knew I knew he was still there, you know, because I could feel him as a kid growing up. But to have that feeling with my mom again meant everything to me. But you guys bridged that gap, right? Because it was like literally six months between finding you guys and my mom yelling at me. So, you know, like that whole time I had you guys to like reinforce that belief system until, until I could have that experience, so. And everything's been on the, you know, up and up, just better and better since then. Um, I had another experience that I probably can't talk about um, on film, but like really major, I shared it with Kara. But yeah, I mean, intuitively I always knew that this stuff was real. And finding Swedenborg like sort of gives you that concrete like, yes, I'm not crazy. Here's a real dude, like, He's got major street cred too, right? Like I think one of the best videos you guys did was um, was Swedenborg crazy. I love that video. Between like my husband, he's not as needy as I am for the spiritual stuff. So, but I showed him Jonathan's thing about like who Swedenborg was. He does such a great job with that short clip. And then I showed him was Swedenborg crazy, and he was like, you know. I can't argue with that, man. You know, like, it, it's a really, I think you guys should add that to the, you have a little section now, like the top videos you should watch if you're new to Swedenborg. Add that was Swedenborg crazy thing there. Because that's, that's a darn good video. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't live without you guys now. If I have a bad day, I just, I go out to off the left eye and I just, I just surf for a favorite. <laughs> and then I just watch it and it like, brings it all back, you know, so, brings it all back into perspective, you know, this, this life is tragic, it's tragic if you don't have Swedenborg, you have Swedenborg and it's like, oh, this is just an opportunity to regenerate, you know, just another opportunity for me to work on regeneration here, so, I can't thank you guys enough for what you do. <laughs> so much cool stuff in there That's we really gotta great. get well, i don't think we put that was swedenborg crazy video in that new playlist if you're watching matt or Stuart or something like that we got to get that <laughs> video in there note to um, self note to us and uh just a couple of quick thoughts that i had oh, i really liked seeing how the 
the concepts from Swedenborg and our channel fit into something where a booster to something that's already going on for her. Mm -hmm. um, I love that she's able to, you know, say, okay, you guys have the right experience that I can just surf through and find what I need to, even if I've already heard it, this is just re reminding me and giving me that perspective, which is exactly how I feel when I go into Swedenborg's books. It's just like, oh yeah, remind me what, what's going on in life. Mm. Uh, so that was really cool to hear. And then um, that it's just that it's something that's bringing her, you know, happiness that it's it's adding value to her life that's what we're trying to do man so yeah, what do I you was think? so fascinated with the difference between her experience of the loss of her father when she was 11 oh yeah and then uh, 49 I guess she was uh, losing right. her mother and how that was a different process and uh, I just love the fact we get this question a lot about do loved ones who've passed on do they know what we're going through do they yeah. know what we're thinking what we're feeling or whatever I love the fact that her mom uh, could tell absolutely knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that she was not reading was not meditating you know what i mean <laughs> right and got after her for that you know right. it wasn't sort of like oh i love you nice to see you <laughs> you know it's like she she said about three times she, she yelled at her you know for like hey you've got to hey. get quiet get with god here you know this angels is have a message right here's your message right. there's a purpose and, and she got that that message which was really great yeah and there's love there's total love in that message yeah i i just love the fact that it was based on this real knowledge of what she was going through so kim didn't sort of no no I'm reading, no, you're wrong about me. <laughs> like where's the camera in this <laughs> yeah, room? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's cool. Karen, what do you think? I absolutely love this. I'm so grateful to you, Kim, for being willing to share the story. I love that love can sometimes be a kick in the backside, you know, <laughs> that, um, yeah, like you guys were saying, uh, Swedenborg does say that our loved ones on the other side are aware of our thoughts and our feelings and, and can know um, from that perspective uh, about things that are going on for us. And that uh, when a visitation like this happens, it's so beautiful to me how it comes in a, a way that just helps the person know <laughs> beyond a doubt, this is my mom. You know, like she, uh, Kim was saying, I knew it was my mom, just the way she was talking. And also this is something that Kim already knew within herself what she should be doing, but it was her mom that could come to her and just remind her, you know, and just like, you need to get back to this. You know, <laughs> you know, you know, this is what you need to do to be connecting with a, with a higher perspective of life. So that's just a beautiful story. And I love it. I love the uniqueness of all these stories and also the way that everybody's uh, the way the Lord just, brings these little pieces to help somebody get back on track. Uh, this dream, our show, and the ideas from that, and just the, the little pieces that helped Kim um, move forward in her grief process. And the last thing I'll say is um, I, I loved her saying that uh, with Swedenborg, you are able to have the perspective that no matter how hard life gets, that it's okay because somehow it's it's helping my regeneration along. And I really use that a lot in my own life that it's of great comfort to me to realize no matter what happens, the Lord's going to bring good out of it and it's going to be okay. So thank you, Kim. I loved it. Life is tragic unless yeah. you have Swedenborg. That's, yeah, no, that's, that's a bumper sticker. That's a, I was, I was going to say, let me stick that on my car. And somebody is going to say at the parking lot, like, 
that's a weird bumper sticker. How can life be tragic unless you have something that I don't even know about? Oh, well, Swedenborg was an 18th century scientist. Okay, that's even weirder. <laughs> but what you get to, what she's talking about is once you get past, okay, there's a guy, but we get to the, the ideas in the books and the explanation of life, as a, another guest once said, like you're seeing life the way that God sees it. Mm. And when you're looking at life like that, that's, that's, the on, that's the only antidote, I feel like, in a lot of situations to the tragedy, to, to, to make that change. Oh, this is helping my eternal growth. And it's a very uh, counter, like you wouldn't have just thought it up, but when you get it, that's the, that's the thing that catalyzes this complete switch. And I can't do that on command, but there are times when it's just re some concept like that will just rescue me out of this state in which I couldn't see any seams in it. You know, I couldn't, but now it's like we're up and flying above it. That's the miracle of the, the Swedenborg experience. Yeah, so that's right. Thanks so much. Kim for get for coming and hanging out and everyone else who's at the event and for being willing to because we had the camera up and it's like oh do you really want to go over there or not but look what it does it, you know if we're if we're inspired by it the people who are going to watch it are it's just uh, you know spreading the love okay let's do another question Josh Anderson asks are there some angels who are never humans this could be a quick one the answer is Karen do you want to go first. According to Swedenborg, no, that every angel had to start out. This is how it works, that everybody who lives in the spiritual world has to first have this basis of being born into physical reality because the phys physical matter and having a body made out of physical matter is what um, gives us this boundary to be able to develop a unique and individual spirit that can have a, a unique and individual consciousness mind and a will, and then we move from that, we, we retain that individuality moving into the spirit world, but it, it can't um, happen without starting out in the physical. Yeah, and uh, a couple, just like two points of interest or wrinkles in, in that, which is just the right, what, what Swedenborg definitely says. It's, Swedenborg does describe that, that, you know, even babies, even if you die as a baby, somehow that's enough, like you've had enough life that you can go on and be an angel in heaven, even if just having had a very yeah. short existence. Very small exposure. Yeah. And then finally, this word here, humans. Swedenborg is pretty fast and loose with that term. True. He will talk about people on other planets. He That's said, right. He does, hey, just in case you, you didn't think this was weird enough, people on other planets. But who I would, you know, there's no way that they're the same biological species that we are. But yet... And he describes them being physically like similar, but but there's some differences. He calls them humans. That he has a for him, it's yeah. more about a will and understanding. So That's there right. could be angels who grew up on some other planet who don't share whatever. I don't know. I don't know if they have DNA. I don't know. But he'd still call them human. Yeah, and it's striking to me in the there's a little. Um, I know the whole idea of angels in the Bible is pretty controversial, you know, who are they, what's going on, because some people can read the Bible and they say, well, look, the angels are a separately created race or something. Oh, and yeah. Other people can say, no, they're not. And it struck me <laughs> that they're... Um, That's a pretty good comeback. Yeah. No, they're, they're not. No. <laughs> and uh, in the Genesis story, where all the creation happens, I mean, there's, there's earth there, and it's without form and void, but all the creation yeah. happens... And nowhere are the angels created. And then you just go forward a couple of chapters and there are angels. Like they don't get created. So yeah, if they were right. a separately created race, when were they created? Because it wasn't in Genesis. Yeah. 
uh, the people get created, the animals, the birds, all that stuff, but That's right. but, uh, but not angels. And then you just fast forward a little bit, and oh, there's angels appearing to Hagar yeah. and or something, you know. And um, so where, where did they come from? So it kind of backs up in a subtle way what, what Swedenborg's talking oh, about. That, and, and I agree totally with what Karin said, that the, this, this is how you get to be an angel. It, it's a, the, the, the human life is the gateway to get in there, strange as that may seem. Yeah, well, that, I guess that's like the consolation prize for having to live as a human, <laughs> is that this is a necessary step yeah. in getting to it the It can the get really thing. good. Yeah, right. It's worth it. It'll be okay. <laughs> Let's do the next one. Pete Dawson asks, did Swedenborg ever speak of the true identity of Mary Magdalene? Many mm. believe that she was Jesus's wife. Does, and what is that Da Vinci Code talks about that? Am I, I right? I think so, yeah. Uh, the, the, the Gnostic Gospels talk about that. Is there some layer of intrigue there? What does it mean? What does it matter? Uh, what do you think? Have you ever read the Bible? Or? I did once, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, on, the, on a weekend, a slow yeah. weekend. The, um, well, I don't recall anywhere that Swedenborg talks about, he, he seems somewhat disinterested in who was, like he's not that interested in who was Paul or who was Peter or who yeah. was really, uh, you know what I mean? Right. He's, the, the way he reads all these characters is, well, what do they stand for? You know, what do they yeah. mean? And so he does talk about the fact that she, she has seven demons kicked out of her and right. she's the first person who recognizes Jesus after he's resurrected, which is kind of amazing, yeah. you know. And, and sort of cool, and there were women, you can tell from the New Testament, who supported Jesus' ministry financially and, right. and so on. Um, what does she mean? Do you, do you know, like, what's the correspondence of Mary Magdalene, what's well, she representing? Yeah, the word Mary, I believe, just means bitter, which is a weird thing to be named for. I yeah. may be wrong about that. And Magdalene is just a place, uh, uh -huh. uh, Mary of Magdala. And there were a number of Marys in there, and yeah. uh, Generally, Mary means uh, having an affection for a longing for truth. You know, that, that's, okay. that's generally what that means. Yeah. And she's a striking character where she, she's the one, right, who, who weeps and washes the Lord's feet with her hair and all, yeah. you know, uh, just this beautiful kind of scene. Uh, but Swedenborg doesn't talk about, like, oh, what's, what was her you know, true identity or, or something right. like that. It, it just, he seems to be, his gaze is kind of elsewhere. You know, sort of, what's the symbolic, what's the movement, what, what does this stand for? Or what's universal. kind of thing. Yeah, right. what's universal and permanent. So you're talking about the symbolism, you know, who, who the people were. Swedenborg even talks about people in the Bible who correspond to things. It doesn't matter who they were, what they were like. Like, you could have very bad yeah, some people of them were pretty awful, right? representing <laughs> very good things. It's something right. about the nature of correspondences. So, What's even more important would be, what's the Mary Magdalene in you and I and everyone else, and what does that mean? But, Karen, do you, do you have any um, Mary Magdalene-related thoughts? I wish I could remember more. Uh, Dr. Sony Werner, who's a friend of our show, been on the show, wrote a book, did a whole study about called Searching for Mary Magdalene. And, um, yeah, like you two are saying, um, Swedenborg doesn't really talk about the earthly identities of people, characters in the Bible. Because as you say, he's presenting the Bible as a universe.
universal story about all of us. And these were real people that did have lives and, and did play out these actions. Um, but we, what we can learn is from their actions, um, what are qualities that we can embody or avoid or whatever. <laughs> and yeah, as Jonathan's saying, the, the name Mary, meaning bitter, but also the, um, similar to Mary, mother of Jesus, this longing, this longing for the Lord and, and, and the Lord's um, presence, um, Mary Magdalene, you know, and Mary, mother of Jesus is, um, symbolizing this uh, willingness to have the Lord be born through us. And Mary Magdalene has, yeah, this beautiful, um, comes to this beautiful humility of wanting to wash the Lord's feet and being the, the first one who could see him after his resurrection, because she had this openness and this loyal, loyalty and, and love that brought her to the tomb, even though most would think, why bother? He's, he's dead. So there is just a very beautiful symbolism that she embodies in the story. Um, so that that's what he gives us about her rather than who the earthly um, character of Mary is. Or And I don't recall him ever saying he met her in the afterlife or anything. So he can't tell us much about that. But he, he never did indicate a, a wife of Jesus or anything like that. Yeah, right. And, right, and, and I, I think of her as being that part of us uh, that it, it's the part that repents, you know, that, that does that self-examination we were talking about earlier and sees, whoa, I have these evil spirits and, and, and that part that as a result really understands the forgiveness and mercy of the Lord. I yeah. think it's that exchange where he says to the, the, the Pharisee who was hosting him, that uh, I came in here and you gave me no kiss, and yeah. she hasn't stopped kissing me. And, right. And that those who are forgiven much love much, you know. That she really has an entirely different kind of love than this sort of, oh, he, Jesus is okay. You know, he, Jesus that, is just all right. He, he's okay, you know, but uh, yeah. he, he can come over if he feels like it. And yeah. she's like, oh, I am so dependent on you, you know. And, and so, therefore, as Karin was saying, that that's the part of us that recognizes, yeah, that sees the Lord. Yeah. You well, when you put it like that, I've t I, t I totally know that state is when things are really difficult, when you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm totally dependent on, and it's cool to think of, that's when you can, t you can say, where's, where's God? I don't see God anymore. But when you're in that state, when, you, when you've been through the struggle and temptation, you're really like, I don't know if I can survive this. That's when you notice mm. God and notice God in, in ideas and in, 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 the, in revelation, you know. Yeah, and, and even in other people, I would say, like someone who is really merciful to you in that state or something, you know. It's true. Right. It's true. Like, yeah. And I was like, initially I was having this thought of like, well, Jesus can't have a wife because the, you know, the, the bride of the lamb is all of us. Like, we're You're all right. married to Jesus. But then I'm like, oh, but you know, whatever. He, he's got close friends and that who symbolize stuff. He could have had a wife that symbolizes. We just don't have any information on that. And right. I don't know, Jesus is a little right. different because Jesus is like the only character in the Bible who was who he corresponded to. Right. <laughs> Everybody else is sort of playing a part, right. but he's making a cameo as himself. So our, do his actions run a little differently? How would I know? Okay, that's a great question. A very yeah, great, yeah, great, one. great question. And a good question. Let's take a look at the next one. Daffodil asks, I was wondering how you might introduce someone close to you who is somewhat agnostic to Swedenborg's ideas. Mm. Have you guys ever been in that situation? I mean, when this channel started, well, not close to you, but when this channel started, it was just like, 
ah, how do you talk to anybody about anything Swedenborg? We weren't out here just throwing out names of Swedenborg and angels and all that. We were very carefully, I was trying to navigate that stuff. So, so uh, how do you do it? Have you guys had any experience in it? Uh, Karin, do you want to try this one first? I think my first thought is, because everybody would be different, every agnostic as every religious person is different, uh, find out what what do they believe in? Do they believe in in science? Do they believe in goodness? Do they believe in, you know, what do they believe in that has value in life? And um, come at it from that angle, because Swedenborg does have things to offer in all these categories or believe in psychology and, and being able to sort things out in, in the mind in different ways that make life better. Because I think Swedenborg has things that connect to science. I'm so, so excited that science is, earthly science is finally really starting to delve into investigating the spiritual through kind of quantum physics, but also actually like scientists starting to try to study. Is there consciousness that survives death and how can we measure it? And so um, there's, there's more ways that science is, is uh, getting there. Um, but Swedenborg also just has through uh, more conventional science that we're used to uh, for a long time about how things work and the, and the forces in nature and stuff. So through, or just the goodness in people's hearts, you know, do you believe in doing good to others? So I would think maybe find out what um, the person is interested in and believes in as a good and valuable part of life. And then, um, you know, maybe introduce that Swedenborg has some things to offer about that part of life. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, you convinced me. I know that uh, that's what this was all about. So I believe in the Swedenborg thing now. Okay, Jonathan? Well, I, what came to mind was that uh, Swedenborg has such a wonderful um, critique. Like, in, in other words, I think you might be able to make an appeal to what makes sense because I think a, a lot of people might... Um, uh, feel attached to the agnostic label because what religion is saying and doing makes no sense. It seems hypocritical yeah. or it doesn't make sense. You know, what is this teaching about like the father sacrificed the son for the human, who, what parent would ever do that? Or, yeah. you know, stuff that doesn't make sense. Like how could you have, you know, light created before the sun or, you mm -hmm. know, stuff like that. So whether it's about the Bible or about religion or morality, or whatever, actually Swedenborg really makes, uh, you know, pretty easy common cause with those kind of things because he has the same kind of critique. Yeah. You're saying, totally, that doesn't make any sense, you know, yeah, because it does, that's not what it means. So here's a, a more rational way of looking at it, that that has a different layer of meaning and so on. So uh, am I making sense, like, well, as a way to get into it? When, when um, to prove to you how much sense you're making, uh, when, when I first started since we're all talking about the beginning of the channel, when I first started, I didn't even know what YouTube was, and just looking, okay, could you have Swedenborg on YouTube? Is anyone even talking about religiously, spiritually stuff on YouTube? There, that was a phase more so even than now, where it was a lot of like atheistic channels who were essentially you know doing what you just said. Like, mm. look at how much, and it's a lot of people who had been raised in uh, right. kind of Christian tradition or something like that, and and are ha, are starting to really. Uh, be outraged or, or, or 
puzzled or disgusted or something by contradictions and, and dysfunctional behavior and, and abuses in that. So they're, they're, they're getting onto YouTube and, and able to just talk through this and tear things down. And I remember when I first got on there and looking at all that stuff and I was like, Swedenborg makes all the same critiques of religion <laughs> that you guys do. That's what I thought. Oh, th people might be interested in, in wanting to hear this because if that's the questions people just naturally now, a couple hundred years later, are mm. having, maybe Swedenborg is tapping into just this fundamental uh, issue that everyone's going to have with religious stuff, you know, because, because he's tapping into that. And one, one thing that occurred to me in, in light of the, or related to the, the initial question is how do, you con how do you talk to somebody about Swedenborg's ideas? It's find out, like, which of the Swedenborg's ideas really do you really believe that that you've seen work for you? Yeah, because right. it's such a kaleidoscope of stuff. And sure, there's some things like, are there angels that that were or weren't human? I can get the the reasoning behind it, but it's not something I can really I don't, touch. I don't know for a fact. I couldn't go investigate that. I like it; it fits well into the worldview. But there's other stuff about th the way the mind works or the different kinds of um, motivations that will lead you into happiness versus into misery that's just like this is as, this is as real to me as a walking stick you know i've leaned th this stuff i've leaned on and i can speak at it from experience so maybe it's like finding that it's n that what's real for you you'll be able to talk about it more fluently but also what people don't want is you're trying to tell them like i am now going to tell you what to think because I'm telling, oh, that's just my position, but instead to, to sh you're sharing something that's helpful and that you're exploring, genuinely exploring on your own. I think there's a power in that. So. Mm -hmm. and, and I have one more thing to say. Go on. Karen? Uh, um, I know that it really is powerful to people if, because I really feel this when, when interacting with people who might have a little interest in Swedenborg, but mm, not so sure about all the ideas to really emphasize that you can be completely free to just explore and see what resonates with you, but not feel like you have to accept it all. Um, just explore, because I think um, maybe many people are used to like, you got to believe all of this or nothing, but you really don't. <laughs> you, really, you really can just find something that resonates and you don't have to um, accept all of it um, just, just see where it leads you and what it, what it can offer. Mm. And agnosticism means uh, don't know. It comes from a Greek root meaning that you, you don't know. You're just not sure. And uh, like I'm agnostic about calculus, right? <laughs> Swedenborg is uh, astounding uh, to me for the place that doubt plays in his system. Like doubt has a very sacred, important place. Yes. And to some people, doubt would be like, you have to believe, you know, you can't, don't ever doubt. Don't, don't let that in. That's from yeah. the devil, you know, or something. And it's amazing that Swedenborg actually embraces that idea and says that your ideas are kind of stretched and deepened by, you know, just looking at it this way and that, not tearing it apart, yeah. but just wondering for real. I mean, what if I've I'm not holding this, am I, am I thinking about this too simplistically or yeah. something? And I love his role. So I think he's very agnostic friendly, actually. Yeah, that's a great point, because he does talk about sort of get, getting affirmative, affirmative doubt. Like if you're just sitting there, like I, not until you come and convince me totally, you're always going to be able to poke holes in everything. Sure. But, but it does seem that I feel so confident putting these ideas just out onto YouTube because I think they stand up to scrutiny. Mm. And I, I like the idea of 
No, I, I'm not. You're not going to have to believe this because you're being threatened to believe it, or because there's a there's cultural pressure to believe it. <laughs> there's right. not. There's not. Um, <laughs> no. what, what what do we want you to do? Go explore it for yourself. Weigh it in your own mind. Like you're saying, very much that he says. If you're just convinced of something instantly, it's just sort of like a two-dimensional print. You've got to be able to look around it and doubt. And then and and you find the space in all in all the things he's talking about that that does ring true to you and investigate that. And, uh, and I don't want you locked into it. I want you, like, coming and going as you want. When you come, I want it to be because you love it and it's doing something for you. So Yeah, that's you're great. really opting in. Good question. Guess what, everybody? This is, like, the end of our show. Can what? you believe it? We're, we're already to the end of the hour here. Mm. Uh, but that we're not to the end of useful things that you can do for us. So really quick, like and subscribe. If you didn't already do it, do it again. Do it a million times. We can only do it once. But... Also, this you think this show could just happen by itself? No, no, no. It depends on the support of people like you. We've got a quick one-minute donation video to show you how you can support us. Then we're going to give you a special sneak preview of what's coming up next. Mm. Please consider joining our community of sustaining supporters by going to otle.causebox.com and setting up a recurring monthly donation at a value of your choice. Any amount helps. Our sustaining supporters are the backbone of what we do at Off the Left Eye and allow us to continue to create high-quality programming that nourishes thousands every week around the globe. Your help makes a difference. Okay, just rocking out to that music. What's coming up? Like we said, we've got a lot of cool stuff for you this week. As always, we've got two episodes of our show, News from Heaven, mm. where we're going to, on Thursday... Investigate the thing everyone in heaven believes. Whoa. And then mm. Saturday, how angels react to praise. Interesting. If you were an angel and I said, you are super awesome, what would you do? Mm. We'll find out then. All right. Then we did, as usual, we took a poll from all of you as to what our short clips would be. And we had people wanting to talk about the four horsemen and then the souls under the altar. Mm -hmm. So we are going to have a short clip entitled, What are the Souls Under the Altar in Revelation 6 verse 9? Pretty particular. And then the white <laughs> and red horsemen in the book of Revelation. Hopefully, if you're just watching for the first time, you start to get a sense of the different kinds of stuff we cover on this channel. Next Monday, we're going to have a show that's called, What Happens Immediately After You Die? Is this part of our new season or something? Are we? Yeah. Oh, did you see the trailer? We're, we're getting into a brand new season here. If you haven't, really? check out wow. our trailer slot. It should be in there. Yeah, we're, t we're going through what's the next step. We've got this mm. life. We grew up and developed. What's next? This is going to be our first episode in that. Really excited about this series. Great work put into it. And the following Monday, we're going to be back with Swedenborg and Life Live doing our this thing. How did Jesus do his healing miracles? We were getting a little into just how interesting of a character Jesus is. That's right. So how's he going to do this important mm. stuff and what's it mean yeah, and all that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's then. Mm. I want to say thank you so much to you, Dr. Jonathan Roos. A pleasure, Curtis. Karin, it was a pleasure getting to hear your insights as well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It was very fun. Have a great week, everyone. All right, everybody in the chat, we couldn't do this without you. Well, we could, but then it would be super lame. <laughs> it would be dumb. <laughs> sure. Okay, so we'll stick with you. Thank you so much. Hope you have a great week and hope to see you in all those different pieces of video we were talking about. See ya.